the letter of First Corinthians once again. This morning we're looking at First Corinthians chapter four, verses six through thirteen. First Corinthians chapter four, verses six through thirteen. This is God's good and kind and gracious word that He has given to you and for you this morning. So we would do well to pay attention to it. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited to us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world and the refuse of all things. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us understand his word. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for giving us your word today. Apart from your Holy Spirit, interpreting these things to our hearts, revealing your truth to us apart from your work on our behalf, we will not understand these things. Lord, we thank you that you do give life and you have promised life by your word, but we also pray that you would now give your Holy Spirit that we might understand this word and have life by it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the last couple of weeks, as we've been working our way through uh, this passage, uh, chapter 4 in particular, I've gone slower than I had uh, before because these, these verses are so deep and they're so rich. I feel like we needed to slow down a little bit. Uh, I'm going to try to pick up the pace once again and go a little bit faster through Corinthians. Uh, one of the problems with going slowly through uh, the books uh, of the Bible, sometimes like I do, is you can miss the big picture. You can miss the context of what's happening. And I've tried to remind you of that context week after week. And the context of these, these chapters up to chapter 7, uh, the context is division in the church at Corinth. There were people who were saying they have certain preferences of one teacher over another. And what's beginning to come out is in Corinth, there are those who are saying we, uh, we like Apollos or we like Paul. And, and, and what Paul is doing is he's elevating both he and Apollos as servants of Christ. And he's holding these two up or himself and Apollos up. As, uh, as the typical servants, or what you would hope you would see in servants of Christ. 
but what's also happening that's becoming apparent in Corinth is that there are individuals that are trying to raise themselves up, that are trying to put themselves up on this pedestal. They are trying to get to that level of authority that they see in Paul and Apollos. And what they're doing as they're trying to do that is they are putting Paul and Apollos and anyone else that gets in their way down. They are literally trying to scratch and claw to the very top. And so Paul is trying to correct them in their thinking by telling them what it's like to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, both as Paul is, who is an apostle, he's one of the big guns, and Apollos, who is an evangelist, who has been called to be an evangelist by the apostles, and he's showing them what it's like to be a servant of Christ in the church. What he did in chapter 3 is he used a couple of metaphors to explain what the church is like. He said the church is like a field, and in the field you should expect organic growth, but the church is also like a house, specifically like God's house, like a temple. And then he goes on in chapter 4, look at the beginning of chapter 4. He says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. He's continuing to work out what it means to live in God's house, to use that metaphor. But he's saying and answering the question, well, where do Paul and Apollos fit in to God's house? And what Paul says is, in the house of God, we are the servants. We are the stewards. We are the ones that live in the basement, that take care of the day-to-day stuff, that do all of the heavy lifting in terms of the things of what it means to be in Christ, to proclaim those things to God's people in the church. He calls himself a servant. That word is an under rower, meaning the person that goes to the very bottom of the ship that is probably strapped in with other rowers who is commanded to row and to do certain things to, to, uh, to obey the master's commands when the master gives the command. He's the lowest of the low servants. And he's also called a steward of the house. That he is responsible for stewarding, for taking care of the mysteries of God in Jesus Christ. So he's been working all of those things out and what it means to be a steward and how you need to judge a steward. And then in this, and now what he does is he says, okay, well, what about you? He's been telling us, this is where we fit into God's house. Where do you fit into God's house? And so that's where we pick up today. And in this passage, he ends by calling himself once again, the lowest of the low. He calls himself the scum and refuse of the world. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he does, first of all, he says he gives an apostolic application. After explaining his place and Apollos' place in God's house, he's like, well, let me apply this now to you in verses 6 and 7. So, Paul and Apollos, they're servants in the church. And what he's saying there is, I've applied this to myself and to Apollos, all these things for your benefit there in verse 6, that you may learn by us not to go beyond What is written down? So essentially what he is saying is, if Paul and Apollos are servants and stewards in the house of God, then so are you. Because here's the thing, you are not better than Paul. 
and you are not better than Apollos. And if Paul is a servant, then you are a servant. If Apollos is a steward, then you are a steward as well. And Paul is only saying that because he is saying, I'm not better than my servant or or the, the one who served me, Jesus Christ. Jesus has served me. And if he has served me, then I am called to serve in his church and serve him. And so are you. This is for your benefit, Paul says, that you would learn from he and Apollos. And remember, he has to do this because there are people who are saying, I'm not going to serve anyone. I'm not going to steward anything. I'm so smart and intelligent. I'm so spiritual. I'm so wonderful as a Christian that everyone else should follow me. Paul takes the exact opposite approach. He says, I'm so lowly that you should follow the lowly. He says, learn from me and from Apollos. And learn not to go beyond what is written. And what is he talking about there? Well, clearly he's talking about not going beyond what the scriptures teach. He is saying that you are not to be as a servant in the house of God. You're not to be more biblical than God is. And you say, well, more biblical than God is. What do you mean? This is, this is a classic trap in Christian churches. This is a classic problem for God's people in particular. We actually have a name for the people that try to be more biblical than God. They are called Pharisees. That's exactly what the Pharisees in Jesus' day did. They were trying to be so super spiritual that they looked at the law of God and they said, God, we can do better than you. You said don't go this far. We're going to say don't go ten steps further. You say tithe this much. Well, we're going to say we're going to break down our tithing and do all these things and be really specific about all this sort of stuff. That's what the Pharisees did. They were trying to be more biblical than God. They were going beyond what was written. And that tends to be one of the things that you see happening in the church. Not just in Corinth, but in this church. In every true church of Jesus Christ. Whenever sinners gather together, sinners begin to think that they know better than God and they try to replace the word of God with their own words. And so Paul has to say, look, God has given me as an apostle and Apollos as an evangelist to come to teach you the word of God. Listen, not just to us, but to the word of God. Do not go beyond what is written down. Don't be more biblical than God. And Paul would know what it's like to be more biblical or try to be more biblical than God because he was a Pharisee. If you remember that, he loved the things of God so much that he tried to improve on all the work that God was doing up to and including killing Christians. Paul says, don't go beyond what is written down. Listen to the biblical teachers that you have been given Paul's purpose in writing all of these things and making this application is he is attempting to keep the people from being puffed up or proud about who they are. And that is actually the whole, um, the, the beginning place of where division comes from in a church. Where you have individuals or a group of individuals that come together that think they know better, that they know best. And so they puff themselves up, and they put themselves up on a pedestal. That's where division comes from, and Paul is trying to 
bring them back down to earth. And he's saying, if me as an apostle, if Apollos as an evangelist, if we are your servants, then those who would be leaders in the church need to be servants as well. Look at verse 7. This is really interesting. I think verse 7, um, these are life verses. If you, if you as an individual say, you know, I don't really have a vision for my life, these are, these are life verses for you, okay? If you want to know the best way to live your life, I think the perspective that Paul gives in verse 7 is incredible. Look at what he says in verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? Now, here's what he's saying. What makes you so great? That's literally what it means. What makes you so great? If Paul is a servant, if Apollos is a servant, if Jesus is a servant, what makes you better than Jesus? And he says, what do you have that you did not receive? There's no qualification in asking this question. He's laying out there the reality for every human being that's ever been born. Except for Jesus Christ. (laughs) He's the only exception to this. What do you have that you were not given by someone else? Think about that. Think about that for a moment. Say, well, you know, these clothes. I bought these clothes, right? Well, where did you get the money to buy the clothes? Well, I worked hard for that money. And who's the one that gave you the job to, to work hard Well, your boss did. Well, where did your boss get the money to start a company or a business or whatever it is that you do to then pay you? Well, somewhere along the line, he received that. And then you trace it back further and further and further. Where did everything come from? Where did this world come from? Did you make this world? Did you make the air that you are currently breathing right now? Did you make the ground that everything rests upon? Do you control how much hair is on your head? I mean, to a very limited extent, you actually do. But I can tell you, you really don't control any of that. Who is in control? Who is giving you everything that you have? God has given it all to you. And what Paul is saying, if you have received everything... One way or, the, uh, or another, you have received it. And you say, oh, wait. And, and Americans, and I say this all the time because it's so important for us to hear this. You say, well, I'm the one that gets up every day and I go to work and I have worked hard for the things that I have. No doubt you have. But who has given you the strength to work hard or the desire to work hard? Because there's lots of people who do not have that desire to get up, to go work hard, to make money, to give back and do all of those things. Where does it come from? It did not come from you. Everything that you have, you have received. And you know what that makes you? That makes you a receiver. (laughs) And you know what's required of you if you have received it from God? Then you are to steward that thing that God has given you. You are to steward the resources that He's given you. What has He given you? Some of you He's given money. Some of you He hasn't. Some of you He's given time. Some of you He hasn't. Some of you he's given children, some of you he hasn't. Some of you he's given homes, some of you he hasn't. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is you've been given, you need to steward that for the purpose of glorifying God because it is his. 
So important. And this changes, this so radically changes everything about the way that you live your life. If you wake up, if you take in your first breath and you say, that breath isn't mine, it's God's. It belongs to Him. That will transform every single thing that you do in your day. You know what it'll do? It'll make you humble. That's why in verse 6, Paul has to say, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. The air that you are breathing is not better than someone else's air in here. You have not made your air better than anyone else. (laughs) We are all on the same level. You are not to be puffed up or proud. It's to make you humble. And then also what this does, how this radically transforms your life, is it makes you grateful for every single thing that you have. It makes you grateful for the resources that God has given you. It makes you grateful for the time that God has given you. It makes you grateful for your children. And this is really hard when your children are waking you up at 3 o'clock in the morning. It makes you thankful and appreciative. And whenever that happens, then that transforms every other relationship that you have. That transforms the way that you are interacting with people. Transforms the way that you see other people. And you begin to be thankful for every single interaction with every single other person that you have because it's an opportunity to share the glory of Jesus Christ because you're sharing breath with others. Even at places like Walmart, even at places where you work, where you got to deal with people and people are just the worst, yeah, it transforms every single thing that you do. These verses are so important. And the Apostle Paul is saying, don't put yourself up. Understand who you are. Be humble. Don't be proud. And be thankful to God. If Jesus is a servant, if Paul is a servant, if Apollos is a servant, then so are you. Act like a servant. What do servants do? Servants give. Jesus gave it all for you. So he's applying it to you and he's saying give as well. The second thing that you see here is you see an apostolic Admonition in verses 8 and then also 10. So look at verse 8 and then we'll look at 10. I said this last week and and I'm going to call Kenny out again. He doesn't like it when I do this, but he's an easy target. So that's why I do this. So Kenny, don't be such an easy target and I won't do this. Um, I use the term apostolic sarcasm. Kenny said, "What, what is this? Apostolic sarcasm. This is when an apostle is being holy Holy sarcastic. He's, being, he's using sarcasm in a very holy way. And sometimes you can do that. It's very rare, but sometimes you can do that. And the Apostle Paul is being wholly sarcastic here when he says this. Look at, look at there again at verse 8. He says, already you have all that you want. You have arrived, at, haven't you, Corinthians. Because you're putting yourself up and you're telling everyone how great you are and you're telling everyone that they all need to follow you because you have it all figured out. Paul's saying, oh, oh, you have it all figured out, don't you? Oh, good job. Congratulations. I'm so, I'm so glad. Look, he says, already you have become rich. That's, this is how you know it's sarcasm because just a few chapters in chapter 2, um, a few chapters before this, he said, you aren't very rich. But now he's getting them to think about themselves and sarcasm is great for doing this to self-reflect. He's like, aren't you so wealthy? Don't you have everything that you want? And they're going, well, no, I, I don't. 
And he says once again in verse 8, he says, Without us you have become kings. I'll talk about what that means in just a minute. But he's saying, aren't you already ruling? Look at you. Look at how important you are. Everyone, whenever you walk down the street in the huge, massive, incredibly important city of Corinth, doesn't everyone see you coming and don't they bow at your feet? Aren't you so wonderful? He says, you have done all of these things on your own without Paul's help, without Apollos' help. Good job, good job. And then, and then, then he kind of gives, gives the sting in verse, uh, at the end of verse 8. And would that you did reign so that we might share in the rule with you. Here's what's happening. Here's, here's how you know it's sarcasm. Because as he is saying these things to them, he is saying, well, reflect a little bit about your life. Are you going through suffering? And they would have to think, well, yeah, kind of, you know, my life isn't going that great in the city of Corinth. Everyone hates us. No one wants to be around us because we're Christians. They've taken all of our resources and all of everything that we have. I don't have a house to live in anymore because I've professed Christ. And he says, well, then are you ruling? Are you really that great? He's using a very specific word for kings there. And it's the word that is used to describe what it's going to be like whenever Christ returns, what it's going to be like for his people when Christ returns. Because there is going to be a time when Christ returns for his people and he elevates all of his people to the place of rulers over the world. And that's the term that's being used there. He's saying, um, have you, without us, you have become kings. Without reference to Jesus Christ, he says, or without the message that the uh, apostles are giving, haven't you already arrived? In other words... Hasn't Jesus already come back and made everything the way that it's supposed to be? That's sarcasm. Because, of course, everything is not the way that it's supposed to be. That's why Paul has to say, and without us, you have done this. And, and so that we might, how wonderful would it be if those things had actually happened? Because, Paul says, I would be ruling and reigning there next to you. But as it is, what is he like? He is a servant. He is a steward. What these people, what had happened with them is that they believed that they had already arrived, that they had received everything that they had been promised in Jesus. And of course, they have to say that in order to get people to believe them and to follow them. And you see this all over the place in Christian circles where you see Christian leaders that will build themselves up and raise themselves up to a level and tell everyone, if you want to get on my level, just listen to me and follow me. And then what happens is those narcissistic leaders end up pushing everyone else down and taking from them instead of serving them. And that's what's happening in, in Corinth, in the church of Corinth. These people are trying to take advantage of everyone instead of uh, serving them. And then in verse 10, he says, you know what it's like really for us right now? In verse 10 he says, we are fools for Christ's sake. We are fools for Christ's sake. In other words, the world looks at us right now and he says, as apostles, as evangelists, as gospel ministers, they look at us and they say, we are idiots. But they don't say that about you there in Corinth, do they? They think you're pretty great. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise. He says, we are weak. But in Corinth, you are trying to make yourself strong, even as Paul and Apollos are weak. And he says, you are held in honor. They're scratching and clawing to put themselves over others, to be 
to receive the honor of the world. And he says, but we are held in disrepute. Here's the point. Paul is pointing to his suffering, his suffering as proof that he has the authority that Christ has given him. And if, he says, we're fools, we're weak, we're dishonored for Christ's sake. And if they suffer for Christ, then Christ would correct that when he returns. That's kind of his point. We are suffering now because there's going to come a time when that suffering will be removed. But that time is not now because Christ has not yet returned and we are not yet ruling and reigning. But the Corinthians thought they deserved better. They thought, I deserve more than what I have right now. And once again, this is one of those life things that you need to learn, that you and I need to hear all the time. What do you deserve today? What do you really deserve in and of yourself, apart from Jesus Christ? What should you get? You, it's not nothing. Once again, Kenny was wrong. He just said no, he mouthed nothing. He was wrong. You know what you deserve? You deserve something. You deserve the eternal wrath of God. You deserve suffering, pain, torment for eternity apart from Jesus Christ. Because you have offended the holiness of God. And He is our ruler. He is our maker. He has given you all that you have. And you have decided to use those things to build yourself up. That is cosmic treason against the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what you deserve. The Corinthians, though, said, we deserve more. We deserve to be honored. We deserve to be strong. We deserve riches. And so they went about trying to get those things. This is the nature of our world. This is why um, people are running as fast and as hard as they can to claim that every little thing that they want is a right. Because if you say that I have the right to this, then somebody has to give that thing to you. What do we have the right to? Maybe we have some rights as American citizens, but what do we have rights to as, as citizens in the kingdom of God? Not a thing. Not a thing. But what do we get? Because of God's goodness and kindness to us, He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us His love, His mercy. He gives us His holiness and righteousness. He empowers us to live lives of obedience to Him and for Him. What do you really deserve? That's a really important question, especially for you young ones. I mean, it's for you old ones as well, but the younger you are, if you can learn this, oh, this is so good. What do you deserve? What do you deserve from your parents? What do you deserve from your friends? What do you deserve from life? What do you deserve from God? You actually deserve nothing but His wrath. Your answer and understanding to that question, how you answer that question, actually lies behind everything that you say and do. What do you deserve? And the way that you interact with people reveals what you really think. If you're building yourself up, if you're proud of yourself, if you take every opportunity to tell everyone just how great you are, and if you're worried all the time about how everyone thinks of you, you are actually telling everyone that you think you deserve more. What do you deserve? 
And we need to remember that if you have something other than the wrath of God, it's only by the grace of God to you. So the Apollo, I mean, uh, the Apostle Paul gives an apostolic admonition. But then finally, he shows them apostolic humiliation. Uh, he ups the ante even more. He goes even further in verse nine, uh, verses 9, 11 through 13. So look at verse 9. He says, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. He is saying that God, by the sovereign plan of God and the outworking of God, it was God's decision to appoint the apostles to suffer for the glory of God. You need to wrap your head around that idea that Paul is saying, I think that God has actually set us up to suffer. And why has he done that? Why has God given us suffering for the sake of the spread of the gospel, for the sake of the growth of the kingdom of God, for the sake of the fame of Jesus Christ going into all the world. That's the reality of what it means. The, the suffering the apostles have gone through has been appointed. And if that's true for the apostles, guess what? The suffering that you go through day by day has been appointed by God for your benefit as well. That's really hard to wrap your head around, to think that God would use the suffering that we go through for the sake of his glory, but he does. He uses that. It's not just for his glory. It's for your good as well. To keep you humble, to keep you mindful of who you really are and who he is making you into. They suffer for Christ's sake. And you need to remember that Paul is coming to Apollos' defense. Look in verse 11. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor working with our own hands. Um, in this day, if you worked with your hands, you were considered less than. Um, we kind of value people uh, that work with their hands, but, but they did not. And you have to remember that when Paul came to Corinth, uh, he couldn't raise enough money to do the work of ministry. And so what did he do? He became a tent maker. He worked with his hands, which meant all of the uppity ups in Corinth looked down on Paul for working with his hands. And Paul saying, I'm still having to do that. I'm still having to work with my hands. And he says, uh, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. And they were saying uh, about Apollos, look, look at Apollos. Look at how everyone thinks so poorly of him and they look down on him. Paul is coming to his defense saying that, that Apollos has been lifted up by God. So don't disparage him. Don't judge him. Don't judge the one that God has put in this position. He uses this phrase at the very end, the scum and refuse of the world. These are two very specific terms. Um, the uh, ancient Greeks had a, a, a method of atoning for their sins or for the sins of the community. And it's a very interesting thing that they would do. And it's apparently something that was carried over in, uh, in other cities like Corinth uh, in the Roman era. Um, the Greeks uh, would, would uh, take criminals, some of the worst of the worst criminals, and they would imprison them and prepare them for one day when they would um, tie them up and then go throw them in the ocean 
as a uh, atoning sacrifice to their gods, Poseidon, the, the god of, uh, of the ocean. And so the word that he uses there, the scum and refuse, is the same word that's used of those criminals who would be uh, tied up and made atoning sacrifices for the sins of the community. And it's really, really interesting that he is saying that that's what God is using us for. That God is making us go through suffering. That God is using us to be the scum and refuse of the world so that, not that they take away the sins of the world, but that they might proclaim Jesus Christ as the true one who takes away the sins of God's people. Ultimately, what's the problem? They were not listening to Paul and Apollos. You know what happens when you don't listen to the gospel ministers that God has given you? You endanger your soul. You don't just endanger your soul. You endanger the soul of your children, of your family. You endanger the soul of everyone that you come in contact with if you don't listen to the ministers that God has provided for you as long as they're being biblical in their proclamation of the gospel. So what Paul is saying, you need to listen to the ones that God has given you for your own good. Not listening to those that God has provided is like cutting off your nose to spite your face. So don't do that. This morning, let me end by just reminding you, what have you not received this morning? Well, you've received everything that you have, but you also have received the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have also received the good news that Jesus Christ has given his life as a ransom for you. And what's expected? It's expected for you to return the life that you have been given back to God. To live your life as a servant of God and to be a worshiper of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today. We pray, Father, that you would help us to hear these things, to be transformed by these things. To recognize that we have received all that we have. And especially this morning, we have received the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to live as your people, as recipients of this good news And also share that good news with everyone around us. Father, we again need help to do this. In our own strength, we cannot. But in the strength of the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, we can live these holy lives, wholly devoted to you. Father, again, we thank you for giving us this word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.